Now, I know I'm stating the obvious, but the first thing I want us to notice is that Judge Deborah was a woman. Deborah's story begins, like every other story in the book of Judges, with the words, The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the way it goes in the book of Judges, in story after story. There's no clear leader for a time and everyone ends up doing their own thing. Then the situation begins to deteriorate as people do evil, by which the writer means they worship the local gods instead of the one true God. They wind up oppressed by their enemies and it's then that they cry out to God to rescue them. God takes pity on them and raises up a charismatic leader, a judge, to bring them out of oppression and to turn back to him. And when that judge dies, the cycle seems to begin again. At this time, when the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, God chose to speak through Deborah. And the reason Judge Deborah was chosen by God was because she was the best person for the job. She was faithful. Day after day, she sat beneath the palm tree and passed out justice to those who sought it. She had faith. She believed that God was true to his word and she believed that he would deliver his people. And the people listened to her. Deborah was a judge and she was also a prophet, meaning she spoke to the people for God. We know that she was a judge and that she was a prophet because the text tells us so but it doesn't give us a lot of detail about her beyond an encounter she had with Barak, the general of Israel's army. Now, as an aside, if we had reread Hebrews 11, which was one of our scripture readings of last week, you would have noticed that the name that came after Gideon, whom we spoke of last week, was Barak. But I want you to know that chronologically, Deborah and Barak came before Gideon. Anyway, times were tough for the Israelites and tough times demanded a strong leader. The people of God were being oppressed by Jabin, the king of Canaan, and Sisera, his commander. Barak and his army were doing nothing about the situation, so Deborah summoned him to her and tells him that God has spoken and wants Barak to take an army and move against Israel's oppressor. Sisera. Barak agrees to go, but only if Deborah will go with him. Now, why would Barak do this? He was the general. It was his duty to lead the army into battle, not Deborah's. As a prophet, she spoke God's word to his people, and as a judge, she helped the people understand right from wrong and settled their disputes. But she wasn't Israel's military leader. Why would Barak ask her to go? Well, I suppose you could say that she was the kind of leader that inspired confidence in others. The people listened to her. But Barak wanted more than an inspiring speech. He wanted her presence. Barak knew that God spoke to Deborah and if Deborah stood alongside him, then perhaps this would be a visible confirmation for both him and his men that God was with them. Kind of reminiscent of Gideon's need for reassurance that 
God was with him that we spoke of last week. Anyway, Deborah agrees to go, but she also reminds Barak that he will not get the glory of the victory and Sisera will be delivered into the hands of a woman. Now, perhaps Barak thought Sisera would be delivered into the hands of Deborah and maybe he didn't have a problem with that, but actually there would be another woman who would deliver the final blow for freedom. 10,000 men followed Barak into battle. And it's worth pointing out that these were men of the Bronze Age who walked into battle and fought close up and personal, who had limited weaponry of shields, spears and swords. While Sisera brought 900 iron chariots to do battle, men of the next age, the Iron Age, who didn't have to march into battle but were driven into battle with their weapons of much tougher material beside them. Deborah followed God and Barak followed Deborah. And when the time was right, Deborah told Barak to attack. Chapter four is not clear in the details of battle. It just tells us that Barak and his original 10,000 men chased down Sisera's army with their 900 chariots and killed them all by the sword. But verse 21 of chapter 5 indicates that God sent a torrent of rain down on the land, overflowing the Kishon River and turning the valley into a sea of mud. And perhaps this scene gave the army of the Israelites confidence as they remembered stories of the chariots of Pharaoh sinking into the mud at the bottom of the Red Sea. Sisera trusted in his chariots of iron and these were the very things that brought his entire army to destruction. The psalmist comments in Psalm 20 verse 7, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. When the army of Israel descended upon Canaan's army, everyone was destroyed except for Sisera, who we presume left his chariot in the mud and fled on foot to find sanctuary in the home of Heber the Kenite, whom he thought was an ally. And it's Heber's wife, Jael, who welcomes him into their tent. Now Heber the Kenite, for his own personal safety, although his clan was connected through marriage to Moses, aligned himself with Sisera's boss, Jabin. After all, it looked like he had the superior army armed with the most up-to-date weaponry. Now Heber's wife, Jael, is quite astute and comes to the conclusion that General Sisera would not be trudging up to their tents covered with mud with no other soldiers with him if he had won the battle. So she has to know that things have not gone well for the people with whom her husband has politically aligned himself. And she realises that those he has run from will soon be catching up. So she invites Sisera into their tent and when he asks for water, she gives him something better, some nice warm milk. Soon he goes to sleep and grabbing her hammer and a tent peg, she, well, she pins his head to the floor and ensures that he never wakes up. Meanwhile, Barak, filled with the confidence uh, from the battle, leads the hunt for Sisera. And when Barak arrives at Heber's tent, Jael gives Barak the body of the man he was looking for. As Deborah had prophesied, it was a woman who defeated Sisera. 
Israel enjoyed peace under Deborah's rule after this conquest for 40 years. She was a judge, a prophet and a deliverer. In a time of great suffering, she was, as I said earlier, used by God for several reasons. One, she was faithful. Two, she had faith. And three, the people listened to her. She inspired confidence in others. But there's more we can learn from this story in the book of Judges. You see, the story of the defeat of Sisera and his army with its iron chariots and the release of Jabin's stranglehold on the Israelites comes about through the combined efforts of Deborah, Barak and Jael. Using this very unlikely combination of people, the wife of Lapidoth, a hesitant general and a, a Gentile woman, it would seem that the key to victory over the oppressor is found in teamwork. There are times that we find there are things in life that oppress. We face battles, battles with illness, with decisions, with loss, with depression, with problems, with trying to maintain our faith in an unbelieving world, all sorts of things. And these things can seem like a strong, overwhelming enemy. But just as last week's reflection reminded us that we don't need to face them alone, that God is with us, so this week's reading reminds us not only of that truth once again, but also that our best strength can be found in community. We can be stronger together, stronger than we are on our own. And to find that strength, all we have to do is to reach out to God as the people of Israel did. And to sometimes ask someone to stand alongside us as Barak did. I know that sometimes people find that hard, so perhaps we have to be aware like Deborah, listening for God's direction and telling the troops to assemble to help out someone who is struggling. And maybe as one of those troops, we become the unsung hero in their story. We become a prayer warrior for someone, or we offer our gift of hospitality, showing up on someone's front step holding their next meal or a boiled fruitcake. Maybe we lift the phone and become the voice of a friend, reminding them they are not forgotten. What should we do when we are suffering deeply and it seems that there is no end in sight? Well, this is the way it begins in story after story in the book of Judges. Pray, call out to God. Then perhaps as Barak did, put aside all thoughts about who you are and your own and other people's expectations of you and ask for help. Reach out to other people. And what does God do in all of this? Well, he gives us moments of stillness and leads us to those who will stand by us as a visible reminder of his presence. And sometimes it might be someone unexpected. Does God notice what we go through? Yes, he does. Does God care what we face? Oh my, yes, indeed. Thanks be to God for his care, for his understanding, and for his presence with us.